Content warning. This series contains mentions of mental health issues, suicide, sexual abuse, and other sensitive subjects. This is your host, Andrew Pledger, and this is Surviving Bob Jones University, a Christian Cult. Inspiration and power, both the Old and the New Testaments, the creation of man by the direct act of God, the incarnation and virgin birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Episode 6 Being Queer at BJU. The first queer survivor I'm going to interview is Dan Wells. Hello, everyone. I am so happy to have Daniel Wells on the show today. You made it out and you're moving on to the next stage of your life. But for people who don't know you, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Daniel Wells. I use he, they pronouns, at least for now. I was born into literally and raised in an independent fundamentalist Baptist church. And I, both my parents were graduates from Bob Jones, so it was borderline railroaded into I'm going to end up going there. I was technically given the choice, essentially, between Maranatha, Pensacola, and Bob Jones, but Pensacola's biology program was not what I needed, and Maranatha didn't really have a biology program, so I went with Bob Jones. In my life progression, going from Christian high school to Bob Jones and then now out, came lots of problems with the way I was raised. I had a bit of a crisis of faith, technically several of them, mostly revolving around being queer, didn't really help the whole trying to be a good Christian thing. So realizing that I was both gay and also somewhere under the gender fluid non-binary umbrella made it more difficult for me to try to practice my faith, at least the way that I was brought up in it, the version of Christianity that I was raised with, which means at this current point in time, I'm not a practicing member of the faith. I don't consider myself a member of the religion at all. So figuring things out on that front as well, just seeing different potential belief systems or things that I might want to pursue. But for now, we're covering IFP question is terminology that I can use for that. Yeah, I think that's very accurate. And I'm glad you still have that open mind of like, I'm curious about these other beliefs and things. And when you're told your entire life that this is the only way to be a Christian, these are the only right, or we have the right interpretation of the Bible, and you have to do it this way. And if you're not, then you're not a good Christian, and you're not spiritual, and you have to conform to this constantly. It's just, I don't know how you can spiritually thrive in that. And people have different backgrounds in Christianity, so I'm glad you emphasized that version, because there are many versions and interpretations and ways of practicing Christianity and, you know, just the trauma from that high control, toxic religious environment, it leaves scars really like in your mind. And 
on your psyche and you have a lot of negative associations with that. Like, I'm glad you're out of that environment and are embarking on your healing journey and exploring different ideas and getting to express and explore your gender identity and your sexuality. But when you started going to Bob Jones University, what were your initial thoughts? And were you a practicing Christian at that point? Yeah, my first thoughts, other than the general, like, starting college kind of confusion and nervousness of I don't know what's going on, and also I don't know anyone here, it honestly wasn't like a big cultural shock to me by any stretch because it was it was practically the same as it was back home. The transition period between my home church and high school and Bob Jones was very minimal. There was a lot of overlap in beliefs. In all honesty, I think at least at the time, Bob Jones was probably arguably a smidge more liberal, both socially and it was a bit more loose with some standards than my home church at the time so that was a pretty smooth transition it was what i was used to and i at that point i think looking back on it now hindsight i think i was still trying to live some version of the christianity i was brought up with in conjunction with my identity if you asked me at the time, depending on how well I know you, I would have either told you, no, I'm definitely Christian, or no, I'm definitely not a Christian. But I think I was trying to straddle the line a bit, despite the fact that I had made the decision that I was just going to conveniently ignore certain parts of Christianity so that my mental health wasn't completely always in the toilet. That changed throughout my time at Bob Jones. But yeah, when I first got there, I think there was a tiny bit of an earnest effort to actually try to maintain my Christianity. That was such an uphill battle, and it became so much more stacked against me that eventually it cracked. But yeah, at the time, I think I was... I would have maybe considered myself a, pro a professing Christian, but I probably would have considered myself like backsliding or like being fleshly in my desires and not going after the, the right things. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I think something I want to address early on in this interview, there's so much shame and blame towards queer students who go to Bob Jones and then make it out and talk about the discrimination and how we're treated. And it's, oh, you went there. That's your fault. Instead of holding that system of control accountable for really the harm and abuse that they've caused. Is there something you would like to speak to that? Yeah, that's something I went into a lot, both me personally and also I see it whenever I see anyone online, big name or even just like in the comment sections under videos fighting. When people talk about, I went to Bob Jones and had a horrible time, and they always get hit with the, you signed the student covenant and you decided to go there, which is a twofold problem. One, a lot of students genuinely don't have a choice. Like I said, I was ostensibly given a choice, but for the major I chose to pursue, I really didn't have a choice. It had to be Bob Jones. And if I hadn't chosen Bob Jones, 
my parents would have either not supported me financially at all, or potentially, depending on how the conversation may have gone, I may have ended up having to basically live on my own or something. If I hadn't gone to Bob Jones, I may have been literally kicked out. It's hard to say now, looking back, what they would have done, but there were a lot of students in schools like Bob Jones in that situation, where the only college acceptable to their parents who, at the point of graduating high school, determine far more of your life than you want them to. Yeah, the fact that you chose to go to Bob Jones does not mean that Bob Jones's rules all should be in effect and all are healthy and well-meaning for the students. So... Yeah, I that comment, I understand from an outsider perspective why it might make sense. But as someone who lived it and was essentially given no choice and basically told you're going to Bob Jones, don't even consider any state schools or any secular schools because you're going to hear evolution and that's sin. And so you can't go to a state school. You have to go to a Christian school, specifically this one. It really isn't a choice. It's not as much of a choice as people think it is. And it's that's not really normally a fair complaint or criticism of people speaking up against Bob Jones. Yeah, thank you for emphasizing that because I remember like recently when that famous TikToker who went to Bob Jones and Oh my gosh, like one of the videos went viral. I got like over a million views. I think it's like at 2 million now. But just seeing the comment section and all the blaming and the shaming. And like you said, from the outside perspective, you've never been in that world. I can understand why people can come to that conclusion or blame or shame or think that. But a lot of us are born into these toxic fundamentalist high control Christian families where we don't have a choice. We can't have, we're not even allowed to express our opinions. We're not allowed to express emotions. We have to agree with what our parents tell us as the truth. And like, we're not given the ability to develop autonomy and learn and recognize our own needs and how to meet those. It's just listen to authority, believe what we say. If you don't, you'll be punished. So you're just really stunted developmentally and you're handicapped and there's i think coercive control i think is something i'm going to dig into in another episode on this podcast in these families of how your decision making and really free will to a certain extent can become really handicapped and stunted in these situations and when you've grown up in this environment your entire life and it's interesting how you talked about the different Christian colleges, because I recognized with my own family that they did give me, it was like PC, Bob Jones, Hiles Anderson. Those were their main options that my parents gave me. So it's even if I didn't go to Bob Jones, whoa, PC, like, ew, and Hiles Anderson. And if I didn't choose to go to college, guess what? I'm stuck in the IFB. So it's like you're in a double bind where no matter what situation you end up, and it's undesirable and it's terrible and you're just trapped. So I think I just wanted to address the complexity of that. And I know recently someone commented on Instagram that they were so indoctrinated that they didn't even know that they had a choice. So that's another issue too. But as a queer person, what was it like 
going to Bob Jones University? Oh, it was a wonderful time. The One of the first experiences I ever had at Bob Jones, I actually visited as a high schooler several times for various things. In all honesty, it was mostly to get out of half a week of school at high school, but it was also a fun time with my friends. And I will always be grateful that I did not, I was not born a year early because I visited Bob Jones as a senior in high school during the chapel series, Divine Design, that was talking about biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. And I sat in on a chapel that was talking about what to do with a friend who, you know, is making quote unquote lifestyle choices. Essentially, what, how do you approach a friend who claims to be a Christian and is queer? And basically the point of the message was, uh, reach out to them, try to convert them and convict them. And if you can't ch affect change at all, then basically cut them out of your life entirely. And I sat there with my best friend in high school who was by, and we looked at each other and then looked down at the rest of our school group who hadn't talked to us all semester long and were like, well, at least they're following what they've been taught. But hearing that before I was even a student there, and then, of course, living there and participating in that culture for four years. Yeah, suffice to say, it was not healthy, was not a good place for me. Obviously, I found pockets of people on and off campus that I could talk to someone sane about it. But yeah, it was very much not a great time. It's also not a, good, not a great experience to have a gender crisis in the middle of going to a school like Bob Jones. Where on top of all of my already pre-existing problems with wrestling with keeping or not keeping my faith, I then had like during COVID, everyone else, everyone had a gay crisis, but all of us gays, most of us had a gender crisis. And so I had a minor gender crisis between freshman and sophomore year and then was like, oh, great. Now I have another thing that they can target and I can feel really upset about when I hear about it in chapels. So I just, yeah, it was a fun time. It was a great experience. Highly recommend. Obviously, this is all facetious. It was horrible. But we survived. Not unscarred by any stretch of the imagination. But it, on, again, on the positive side, it's not like it was anything I wasn't used to hearing. So I'd gotten so used to filtering out most of that rhetoric that it was pretty easy to ignore whenever it came up at Bob Jones. In fact, I think one year, one Bible conference, we split up for workshops, and one of the workshops was about gender and sexuality. And I went to that one just so I could roast it with my friends, because I was like, I almost made a bingo card. I was like, I know every single point they're going to make here. I want to see how many of them I can anticipate before they're made and see how many I can debunk just in my head, as he says. So by my last year, it was almost not really affecting me at all. Just because I was so used to it, I was like, yeah, I'm going to hear about this for us. I'm going to hear from that passage. I'm going to hear this discussion. What I really didn't expect was every time gender and sexuality would pop up in the middle of a completely unrelated sermon or lesson or class. And I'd be like, why are we talking about this now? But I guess that's part of the culture wars that they need to sprinkle it in everywhere. Just in case you forgot, we don't like gay people here. 
Yeah, oh. it saddens me so much to hear that. Oh, yeah, I was so used to it. Like I learned to filter it out. No one should have to be exposed to those messages. And when you're in that environment where you are not allowed to exist, you are not safe, you cannot be yourself and you have to hide yourself. There are different ways you learn to adapt and to survive and different trauma responses that help us get through it. And I relate to what you were saying about just not caring as much anymore. And it was interesting because of all these harmful messages, my mind just learned to disassociate, which I think you've talked a little bit about that on social media. But could you talk about the experience of disassociation and going to that school? Oh, yeah. So, so many chapel messages and Bible conference messages and start of the semester evening services that I would completely miss because I would sit there and I would hear them start talking and I could physically feel my eyes glaze over and then I'm just time for maladaptive daydreaming instead of paying attention to any of this, which wasn't necessarily always a response to messages about queerness. It happened all the time. I took a class on apologetics and worldview my last semester, which was very funny for several reasons. One, most of the time I wasn't paying attention, but when I was, anytime I tuned in, it was the final nail in the coffin of my belief in at least this version of Christianity. Because, yeah, I would hear things and be like, that makes no sense. Or these are straw man arguments that we're using for every single faith that's not Christianity. But, yeah, there were so many times I would be at, like, a seminar, chapel message, or even sometimes in society. And it's like, you would get a, someone would start talking about something and I'd be like, yeah, I can tell I'm going to get nothing out of this in any way. So I'm going to slip my brain out of my body and send it up into the abyss and I'll come back in 20 minutes and go on with my day because it's not worth it to spend this time present in my body. I'm going to do something else. Bye. I remember in therapy, as I've still been learning to get out of that automatic trauma response. And it's really, it's, it's the mental flight. You can't physically leave an environment or leave a situation. Your mind will adapt by disassociating or not being present to experience that. And it's something I hope like you've been hopefully able to do is like learning to just be present and get in touch with your senses and be present with your body, which is really, it's been a struggle for me after years of it. <laughs> but oh my gosh, like, yes, yeah, just the trauma just of being a queer person in that kind of environment at Bob Jones, it leaves so, so many scars. And I know that towards the end of your last semester, of your senior year, you were called to the dean's office and you got in trouble and because it was suspected that you were queer. Could you explain the story of that situation? Yeah, so I made it all the way until my senior year before I started getting questions. Actually, the first incident was first semester senior year, which I'll touch on briefly. Basically, my dorm supervisor with whom I actually had a decent relationship outside of, like, the student-faculty relationship. 
we had talked a few times and actually um, when my dad passed away my sophomore year, he actually drove the eight to nine hours up to where I lived to come at my dad's funeral, which he didn't have to do. And I like really touched me and my mom that he would even do that. But I got this text from him first semester senior year that was like, hey, we haven't talked in a while. You should come down to the office and hang out. And I was like, okay. So we went down and I talked to him for half an hour. And like for half an hour, we had a normal conversation. It was actually nice to catch up because we hadn't seen each other. And then suddenly halfway through the conversation, it was like someone flipped the switch. And he was like, okay, now for business. He had this whole spiel before he even started because it was about stuff that I had done online. And he had this whole spiel of, I know that this might be something that I found on my own or it might have been something that someone told me about which I knew was incorrect because what he was addressing in this first meeting was a quote I had in my bio on Instagram, but I had also had my pronouns as he, they in my bio. I changed those in sophomore year, which we'll get back to this, but when I changed them in sophomore year, I came up with a reason in case I was ever asked. I came up with a reason why I changed them, like an excuse. And so then in this first meeting, and so, like, I knew from that he didn't see this himself. Someone had told him. Someone had gone online, found this in my bio, and then told an authority figure, which to me is psychotic behavior. But that's neither here nor there. I don't understand the profit of seeing someone else doing something that's completely harmless, breaking the world, and feeling the need to tell someone. But again, neither here nor there. And so we talked about that, and it was a quote from a drag queen, which was also when I found out that staff at Bob Jones has no idea what drag queens are because he thought she was trans, which I couldn't correct him on, of course, because otherwise, I'd, why do you know what a drag queen is? So I got out of that. It was that and then like a comment I'd made on someone else's coming out post. I had commented something vaguely about, I can't wait till I'm no longer Bob Jones, happy for you, which I lied my way out of that one decently. I said that I found Vioho music and then found the quote online and thought it was funny. And then I said that the comment I claimed was me just saying I was ready to graduate and not necessarily ready to come out, which, of course, not correct. So there was already that, like, background. And then second semester senior year, this one Monday, I literally woke up to an email sent at 8.30 a.m. from my dorm supervisor who was like, hey, I'd like to talk to you at the dean's office later today with the dean. It's going to be at this time, and we checked your schedule so we know you're free. And I was like, well, this is a great way to start my, like, second to last week of normal classes. Love that for me. So I had several panic attacks throughout the day prior to this. I'm actually on a, a Discord server with a, large, a decent number of my friends. It's a very safe, open space for honest discussions about problems we have with various things. Some of us are queer, some of us are deconstructing. And I commented to them and I was like, hey, so this is happening and I might be getting expelled, so I'd like some support. I hung out with one of them after my class from 2 to 2.30 and then I go to the meeting and first of all, I was sitting in the office waiting for the meeting to start for a full 20 minutes, which is just rude and borderline unprofessional for them to clear my schedule and make sure I was open and then they got there 20 minutes late but then yeah I go into the meeting and it was again it, they did the same thing which is so frustrating because I know I'm here to be in trouble why are we like small talking 
we like talked and we hung out and actually the dean knew my dad and so we talked about like how's your mom doing how's your family what's going on back home and i'm just like why this is sure this is wonderful but i'm here because you have some problem that you need to address i've been terrified of this all day can we just skip to the bad part i don't need to talk to you about how my life is going before i get punished for whatever so then yeah they brought up and they were like almost unprompted were like let's pray and i was like ah okay so after the so the, the prayer differentiates the friends hanging out time and the we're punishing you time so after we prayed the dean was like yeah so we've noticed some minorly concerning things and we want to address them and make sure that you're not having any problems or whatever and also worth noting this was i believe this was like two weeks before exams final exams before i would be graduating so that was also in the back of my mind and so they asked me about my pronouns which i was very grateful that i had come up with something beforehand because i don't know if i would have been in the right mindset that day to come up with anything so i told them this ridiculous story truly had no idea they would believe it and i did hook line and sinker basically i said that I had a group of friends from high school, and one year for April Fool's Day, one of them was planning on jokingly coming out to us and changing his point on Instagram, and that his little brother told us all in advance and said we should counter-prank him by all joke coming out back to him and changing our pronouns on Instagram. And then once that had happened, the original guy dared the friend group to not change their pronouns back after April Fool's Day. And it turned into a game of chicken that had been going on for over a year and a half. And that's why I hadn't changed my pronouns back. And they believed that, which I'm not complaining about because it meant I wasn't expelled. But I was like, how? That is, I don't know if. That's what they think college-age guys joke about. Maybe it is, and I'm in the wrong circles. I don't know. I was truly amazed. That's the cover story that they bought for why I changed my pronouns. However, that was a good thing. And the fact that the dean knew my dad was also good because his response to that was like, oh, that makes sense. You're a jokester. Your dad was a jokester. We made lots of jokes on people. So then I was like, oh, now I have an in. They know I'm, like, my dad was a jokester. I'm a jokester. I like saying things to make people laugh, even if they're ridiculous. So now I have a common thread I can apply to every single other accusation they have of mine. So then the next thing that they talked to me about was a friend of mine who had recently been expelled for being non-binary and, in fact, was no longer permitted to be on campus for fear that they would, and I quote, turn other students non-binary, which is definitely how that works, had uh, apparently this friend had mentioned either online or in person something about their NBs, like they'd used the phrase my NBs as an NB non-binary, and apparently had included me in that group. And they asked me about that. And my defense was, oh, also the whole time they misgendered this person, but I'm going to use their correct pronouns here because I want to. I was like, oh, they had seen my pronouns in my bio and asked me about them, and I told them that story. And so, therefore, they jokingly included me in that group as like a ha-ha, you pretended to come out once, which was very funny. 
because then I was like, oh, I can use the joke again in this one. And then they had also asked, and this is literally hearsay, so I don't know why they even asked me about this, but apparently whoever reported these things to them had also heard me once say something along the lines of, I can't wait till they graduate Bob Jones so I can wear a dress. And they asked me about that, and I just told them, oh, that was just, like, probably out of context or the tail end of a joke or I was quoting someone and just explained it away as that was taken out of context and whatever. And then, so after they asked me all the direct questions, then they started this weird, are you confident in your masculinity? Are you comfortable being the man that God designed you to be? And of course, my answer is no, because I don't necessarily identify myself as a man, but I wasn't going to say that. So I was like, yeah, I have had some, I've, I get some of the concerns because I don't do a lot of typically masculine things. I don't hunt or fish. I don't do guns. I don't do cars. I don't do trucks. I don't do sports. I was like, I understand why people might look at me and my interests and the way I present myself and not see the most masculine person. But no, I've never had any issues like that or whatever. And then this was also fun because somewhere around this point, I think, the Dean of Men mentioned that he's, this isn't, we're just concerned for you. This isn't like a manhunt. This isn't like a witch hunt. We're just concerned. Which I didn't believe him on because this conversation, I mentioned it before, this conversation happened a week after a friend of mine was expelled for being non-binary. In this same conversation the dean mentioned he had talked to another student previously that same day about the same issue and then a week or two later two other friends of mine i knew who actually were dating at the time which is bold and congrats to them for even having the having the guts to do that because i wouldn't have they were found out and they weren't expelled but they were prevented from walking they were allowed to graduate because they were found out like after exams so they were just basically told they couldn't walk at graduation and they couldn't participate in any of the events. So being told that, oh, this isn't a manhunt, this isn't a witch hunt, but yet in the span of three weeks, they had talked to or directly punished five queer students for being queer. Clearly it is a manhunt. Clearly it is a problem that they're trying to weed out for some reason right at the very end of a semester, which seems needlessly cool in my opinion to target these students right before they can either finish finish their entire school career or finish their semester. I know the first friend who was expelled before my meeting wasn't allowed to take any of the credits with them, so they lost the whole semester of school, which to me is just needlessly cool. And, like, why would you do that? That just seems unnecessary. So, yeah, that added, that, that was a bit of a spicy end to my final semester at the school. I'm glad yet you were able to get yourself out of that situation. You should be allowed to exist and be yourself, but you're not on that campus. And oh my God. And thank you for bringing up all the people that were called into the office that week, because I remember when all this was happening and being in the group chat that we're in. And I was like, oh my God, Bob Jones is just going rogue on all the <laughs> queer students. Oh my gosh. I just can't.
In the next segment of this episode, I interview a queer survivor who has decided to remain anonymous. When you went there, what were some like core experiences that you had as a queer person and how did that affect you? My ex also went there, which was great. And she went to the high school as well. So, you know, her already being there and a few people who already knew about me and knew who I was, that was a little intimidating, but I tried to avoid them as much as possible. And I tried to avoid her, which it's hilarious because she ended up being my dorm neighbor. That was awful. It was god awful. I didn't eat the drop off weekend because I didn't think that she'd be a dorm student. Because when we had last talked about going to Bob Jones, she told me that she was going to be a town student. And this was like a year before the like drop-off weekend. I hadn't talked to her for months before that. So seeing her name on the door right next to me, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be fucking great. God, I do believe that there is a God and that he has a terrible sense of humor in doing that to me. <laughs> oh my God. And did y'all, in, <laughs> did y'all end up in the same discipleship group? Yep, we did. Oh, my God. Mm, That's so awkward for you. I'm so sorry. It's all right. It was fine. There was a little bit of a rocky start at first, but eventually we did just ignore each other. And she did end up leaving after the first semester to go live with her parents. I see. You attended the school from 2020 to 2021, correct? Yeah, I did. Okay, got you. And I think we had talked about earlier that it was interesting how we were there the same time I was upperclassman mm-hmm. during that. And for you, being put into this very strict, high-control environment, how did you adjust to the rules? And like, when did you decide to start breaking them? Or did you just start breaking them immediately? Oh, I broke them from the start. <laughs> I've probably broken more rules than a lot of people think I did. Basically, just existing as a human being, really, like watching TV shows or watching YouTube videos or like playing certain video games. I, I don't, My favorite joke to say when I was there was I could watch the Pirates of the Caribbean as a toddler, but I can't now as an 18 year old. But no, pretty much everyone, like my friends and I would group around and we'd watch WandaVision, which I don't, I think that was rated PG-13. Like it was all just stupid shit. So no, I broke that shit from the start. And so what was it like for you as a queer person going to this school and just being subjected to this very homophobic environment? I tried to lay low, which was very hard with certain people knowing of me and knowing who I was. But I tried to lay low as much as possible. I had a long distance girlfriend at the time. We're no longer together. But so it was just kept to myself really in my dorm room and I would talk to her. But I remember sitting, I would sit in sermons, especially the homophobic ones, and I would look up like the actual like translations and like the actual meanings of the Bible verses that they would use. Like I remember, I think, I can't remember if it was first or second semester, but Steve Pettit did a sermon on some verse, and I think it was Romans, that talked about like man lying with man, woman lying with woman. That means that homosexuality is bad. So I looked up like what the verse actually means, and it basically means even if you cheat on your spouse with someone of the same gender as you, it is still cheating. That is what that verse means. So it was, I just kept low. I had one friend who I could rant to, which was really nice, but I really just kept to myself until the second semester. 
yeah, first semester wasn't too bad. I know it got to a point where I know you had told me earlier how they would not let you leave Bible conference to go to a funeral. Could you talk about that? Yes. So during Bible conference, a relative of mine passed and it was someone who I was close with. She was in like her 90s, but she passed and I didn't get the chance to go down and see her because my mom had texted me like the night before. This relative is like most likely going to die soon. And I was like, is there a chance I'll get to see her? And my mom said no. And then she passed either that night or the next night. I don't quite remember. It was all a blur. But it was during Bible conference. And so they had planned the funeral for the Saturday morning afterwards. It was, I don't remember if it was like nine or 10. It was in the morning. To get there, to drive down to where my family lives, it's a couple hours. So the best chance was to go down Friday morning so that I get to spend time with my family, get to grieve, and then be comfortable enough for the funeral. But I went to Trashley Blush, who is who is the girl's dorm leader or whatever, and she sat me down. She asked me about my relative. She asked me how it made me feel. She asked if she was a Christian, if she had a close relationship with God. Just I'm sitting here, I'm like, she died yesterday. Calm down. But then she's, is there any way that you can stay for the last day of Bible conference and leave early Saturday morning? And just the pure audacity to look at this 19-year-old at the time who's crying and just ask her to stay one more day because she had to stay for the last day of their precious fucking Bible conference just blew me away. So eventually she did agree to let me go, which my mother would have gone scorched earth on that woman. But yeah, that's how that went. And that was very fun. Yeah, it just... It blows my mind, too, how they're supposed to be loving and compassionate like Christ, but here they are. You're in this vulnerable moment, this sad situation where your relative passed away, and they're not even really comforting you. They're like, oh, what she said? Did she believe this? Oh, yeah, by the way, we really actually don't want you to leave Yeah, a day early. We want you to stay for a Bible conference, and, and you need to be with your family. You do during that time of grieving and just because you are so obsessed with like control and indoctrination you can't let a student or have the compassion to let a student leave a day early leaving this bible conference to go to their relatives funeral like yeah. it is just so awful so controlling so ugh. i remember looking in her eyes and thinking this is a fake ass bitch <laughs> She's, oh my God. And just, and like the look in her eyes too. Like you can just see there's, so, I don't know if you've ever talked to her or had an interaction with her one on one. I've heard stories of people when they talk to her, they're like, there's something like. You can just see something there's in her eyes. Something sinister about this person. Like I mentioned it to you earlier, like she gives off the vibe of a mean girl in high school who never wanted to let go of that control. Regina George on steroids, but not as cool as Regina George. But God, just. Ah, oh, she's just so unsettling. Oh my God. And the thing is that there are other people like that at Bob Jones in that leadership hierarchy that do love that power and that control. Mm -hmm. And like they feed 
off of it and they love it so much oh my god it's just so so they're just scary they're insatiable in a sense like half the time they do stuff just to have that control and like that last word over an individual no you ended up running away yeah (laughs) from bob jones university so Talk to me, like, leading up to that point, all the things that happened, and then what happened when you ran away, and what was that like? So, the big story. I had a fling with someone who was my other neighbor on my other side of the dorm. There was five queer people in that little corner of Gaston. I like to call that the queer corner, just because it's so baffling how many queer people, but... No, so I had a fling with that that girl, and she was a pastor's daughter. So I had a fling with her, and she introduced me to a few other gay people at Bob Jones. And so we had a cute little group, and we were pretty. They were all upperclassmen. We had a fun group. We got drunk in a park one time, and my fling had to call one of her friends to come pick us up because we walked to the park because we're fucking stupid. And I remember... I was drunk and I was crying because there was, we were in a park and there was a cop in the parking lot because the park had closed, but we were hidden from the parking lot. So I remember I was crying. I was like freaking out. I was like, my mom was crying. I'm an idiot. (laughs) I did stupid shit and I'm going to get kicked out. But no, that's not why I got kicked out. So eventually I did end the fling with that girl and I got COVID a few weeks later. And this was back when you had to be quarantined in the in whatever the fuck the dorm was, which was the best and worst time of my life. I went through a severe depression just because I couldn't smell or taste anything. I didn't eat because, again, I couldn't taste anything. And that just made eating a chore and I hated it. And then like about a weekend, that girl says, I got convicted. I fessed up. They knew it was you. I'm sorry, because she didn't want to drop my name at all. But because my ex had told people about me, they already had their eyes on me, apparently, which was fucking great to know about. I'm so glad that instead of talking to me like adults, they decided to fucking spy on me. So about a weekend, she told me that my depression got even worse. I stopped eating in general. I was back with that long-distance girlfriend, and she was very supportive with me, like of me with that. So that was good. But I remember my last full day or my second to last full day in the quarantine dorms, I was trying to take a shower and I almost passed out because I hadn't been eating because I'm sitting here worrying about what the fuck is going to happen. So then the night after, the night that I got released from the quarantine dorms, which I wish I could have stayed in there forever, the night that I got released, I had a meeting with Trashly Blush and the girl. And we like talked and I cried during that meeting because... They, God, they just ask such personal questions that they don't need to be asking. I remember they asked if I sought out women because of my need to feel love. And that was just like, what the fuck? I sought out love in women because I needed to feel loved. No, what? I have always liked women for as long as I can remember. And I've tried liking guys. I can't. But... No, I remember I just sat there and stared at her for a solid minute. And I'm just thinking, what the fuck? And I remember I cried at one point because I got like deep. I got way too deep with them. They put you in such a vulnerable emotional state 
where you're being manipulated, but you don't realize it until afterwards. And you're like, holy fucking shit. And then you're also trying to save your own ass because while you didn't necessarily do anything wrong, existing as a human, they make you feel so guilty about it. Remember I cried. I gave them a sob story, a true sob story about my family at the time. I don't feel that way because my family wasn't accepting of me. Now they're better. Thankfully, they love my current girlfriend. But yeah, it was, and I remember I, I sobbed in front of Trashley, which I deeply regret. But no, then she's like, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna pray about what we're gonna do with you. And then we're gonna have a meeting with the Dina women tomorrow. And I'm like, fucking fantastic. So then the next day, they get my ex into a meeting with Trashley, which I wasn't a part of the meeting, but I warned my ex beforehand. I was like, hey, here's what's going on. And my ex, the backstabbing bitch, said she'd vouch for me, but didn't. So then in the meeting with the Dina women, they brought out everything that my ex said. And I'm like, oh, this is fucking fantastic. So I'm sitting here. I'm thinking like, I, like, cause you're at your lowest of the fucking low. And I'm sitting here. I'm thinking, what the fuck am I going to do? Cause at this point I was too afraid to tell my parents, which I know now looking back that my parents would have protected me in the situation. And they would have done all that they could for me. But when you're in that situation, you don't think about that. And so I grasped at any resource I could. I found people who would take me in. I told the girl that I had a fling with, because at this point, she wasn't involved in what would happen to me. She got off scot-free because she felt convicted and she confessed, even though she was just as guilty in what happened as I was. But I was going to get, I was going to get biblical counseling and I was going to get a, a sexual demeanor and 25 demerits, a whole 25 fucking dollars. And I was going to have to go through biblical counseling the next semester. And I'm sitting here thinking, I'm not dealing with that shit. <laughs> Absolutely the fuck not. I'm not going to sit here and listen to people tell me the same things I've heard my entire fucking life about how being gay is biblically wrong, even though there's no real thing in the Bible that says that if you actually look at it. So I just, I'm like, I'm not fucking dealing with this. So I grasped at any source that I could. I told my, the girl that I had a fling with, like, that I was going to some other friend's house who lived in a completely different state, like across the country. And she was going to take me in. I didn't tell her that I was leaving one of my friends who lives in Greenville. Her family took me in. And so I left and it was, I think the last... I don't remember what day it was, but I remember it was a Saturday and it was room check day. So I did my room check duties like a good little student. And I also sat on my computer and I looked up like I did my fucking research because I was 19. I was an adult, but I looked up like, could I could there be legal implications for running away? Could people force me to be somewhere that I don't want to be as an adult? They can't, which is great. But then I just left in the middle of the day. It was like everyone was leaving for, for a room check. I just left. And I went to my friend's house and I turned off my phone and cue the fucking shit show. <laughs> I feel so, I, I put my mom through so much shit and I really, I put my dad through shit. I put both of my parents through shit and I really, I do regret doing that. It did help me build a better relationship with them, which I'm very thankful for because I feel so bad for my mom. She's afraid that if she doesn't, that if she doesn't accept me enough that I'm going to drop off the face of the planet which I'm not going to again, but that's like, I, th- I think that my mom doesn't have that fear anymore. But in that first year, she did um, after I left. But no, but yeah, that's why I ran it. And then 
after I run away from Bob Jones, guess what they hit me with? Suspension. I was suspended for the fall semester at Bob Jones. Wow, this is, it's so ridiculous. And it shows like how much power and control they want over every single student. It's like you go to your boss and you say, I quit. And they say, no, you're fired. No, I have the higher position. I'm in authority. Exactly. I'm going to have control. You're fired. So it's, oh, God. Oh, Ugh. you left the school? Don't come back. But, oh, in the spring semester, you can. And we'll fix your issues. If you pretend like you're over them, we'll be A-OK. And what did they say in the suspension letter or the notification? It was something about how I couldn't step foot on campus, which I didn't step foot, but like I would ride with my friend whenever she had to go pick something up and then I'd sit in her car and I would post on like my private snap store. I'd be like, oopsies, I'm breaking the law. Oh, no. Which I don't even know what they do if I if they caught me on campus while suspended. I don't know. But I also couldn't like hang out with people who lived on campus who goes to Bob Jones. Like I couldn't do that which is so stupid because first you're going to say that I can't step foot on campus. Okay. But you're also going to tell my friends that they can't see me. That's a little, which I still hung out with some friends anyway, because nobody cares. What are they going to do? But yeah, so that was, it was funny. It was just like a last fuck you, but I just thought it was hilarious. Something I want to point out is the fact where you said you ran away. Yeah. From Bob Jones and the fact that you couldn't like easily or freely leave. Nope. I think is a red flag just and they were going to force you to be in biblical counseling and basically their version. They have many reasons for doing biblical counseling with students, but like they can use it as a form of conversion therapy. Which it wouldn't have worked on me, but... (laughs) (laughs) i still didn't want to deal with sitting there and just like listening to that for the entire i did it i just Mm. didn't i didn't want to deal with it i wasn't afraid of it i wasn't like oh no my life is over i just didn't want to deal with it because that's the stupidest shit i've ever heard yeah i'm so glad you were able to like claim your autonomy and to leave and to not let yourself be subjected to that abuse really and oh my god i remember hearing about you running away when i was there they're like, oh, this queer student ran away. We have no idea. They have no it makes idea me want to fucking die. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember being really concerned. I was like, oh my gosh, that poor student out there. And I'm glad that we ended up now meeting. And I know. And in the next segment, I interview another queer survivor whose name is Nikki Hervas. Hello, everyone. I am so excited and happy to have Nikki Herbis on the show today to talk about her experiences at Bob Jones University. Thank you so much, Nikki, for taking the time and the emotional energy to come on the podcast and share your experiences as a BJU survivor. Of course, glad to be here. And I'm just really curious about, like, how you made your way to Bob Jones University. So I grew up fundamentalist. I went to Schomburg Christian School that's associated with Bethel Baptist Church up around the Chicago area. 
And I went to that school from K through 12. That's a big Bob Jones affiliated school. Like obviously not explicitly when you were in high school, like they would always send like their team of undergrads to go down there and convince all the students that Bob Jones is like one of the best schools that you could possibly go to. My parents were alumni as well. They went back, they were attending back in the 70s. And my dad was actually also a member of the cooperating board at the time. And yeah, I, so I felt a pretty significant amount of pressure to become a pastor. So for instance, like when I was in high school, I had, we had this, I think they called it festivals. I don't know if they still do it at Bob Jones, but like I was in the preaching competition and I got second place. And I remember like presenting my message to the freshman Bible class or one of them. And I always had a lot of people try to convince me that, oh, you have to become a pastor. Like you're good with public speaking. And like, I, I don't know if it was, people looked up to me. I feel like people always just thought that I was a goofy person, but I remember one of my childhood mentors back at Bethel Baptist Church had this long story. He was an alumni of a Pensacola Christian. And he had this whole story about like how he didn't follow God's plan to become a pastor and how his life is significantly worse. And so I need to go become a pastor now because if I don't follow God's plan, that my life will be bad too. And that was like his full sob story. And so obviously that on my adolescent brain had a pretty significant impact. And so I had this idea what I'm going to do is I'm going to do it my way. And that's like my life story. I'm going to do it my way. I'll do, I'll take the advice of other people, then I'm going to do it. So I'm going to go to Bob Jones. I'm going to get a major in Bible. And then I'm going to go to seminary and I'm going to work my way up to a New Testament theology degree or something like that. So I was like, at least I'll make everybody happy. I don't really want to go to Bob Jones, but I'm doing it anyway. And so that's how a lot of pressure, a lot of, what is it called? Like societal pressure from the little like sub, sub stack of society that I grew up in. Yes. Like that, that the pressure from that culture to go into that role really, because I remember feeling that pressure at times from the IFB church that I grew up in. It was like, this is the way, this is the truth. This is your purpose. Why would you want to do anything else and why should you and there's a lot of shame around doing what you want being that being called like selfish in some way and here you are at this extremely fundamentalist christian college and you change from a bible major but in your journey when did you really start to become aware of your queer identity and how did you even explore that and come to understand and realize who you are today? Confusing is probably the best word that I can put for you because I'm a pansexual trans woman. And that just means my entire childhood was just full of this, like these homophobic ideas, but then also being attracted to what I thought at the time was the opposite sex. And then being like, I'm obviously straight then, so it's fine. And then, so it's really easy to mask. But then being at Bob Jones University and making friends with guys that I thought were really cute and then not understanding like why I really wanted to be around them all the time. But then having a girlfriend and being like very interested in her because I just didn't understand because of like my like growing the way that I did, that pansexuality could exist, it, that I could even consider it more than just like one gender. And okay, so if I can like take it back to childhood, I remember 
like being so scared my parents would find out that I was attracted to guys. Like, I remember my father was reading a book on, like, how to raise young boys. And, like, I saw it on his desk and I, like, ran over there and I opened up the table of contents and I was immediately it, found... Was it by hmm. James Dobson? I don't remember. No. I wish I remember. That sounds but like I, a James Dobson book. <laughs> yeah, it, it could have been because I remember so, going to the table of contents and I was just, oh, yeah, oh, like, what to do. Basically, like, what to do if your son is gay. And I, like, turned to that and I'm just like, oh, God, oh, God, what do I do? I was like, maybe my dad will find out. No, it's fine. I'm attracted to women. But then all at the same time this is happening, I am trying to figure gender identity out. And growing up the way that I did, like, the idea of gender identity wasn't even a concept if i can tell you about the first moments of like gender dysphoria for me i didn't know what the word trans was i didn't know trans transgender transsexual i didn't know what any of that stuff meant but i can tell you that when i was like a little seven-year-old trans girl that all I wanted to do was be a part of all the things that the girls did and whatnot. And the way that I, the way that I like explained it to my therapist was that like girls had magic and I wanted to also have that magic. (laughs) So like growing up, like with those ideas and then growing up, like with like me trying to hide my sexuality, I had all these questions get to Bob Jones university. I'm looking around me in the Bible major and it's just men unless you were a women's ministry major. And that felt and was intensely sexist. And it just made more questions. Like, why? Like, why is that a big deal? Because also, I relate more to the women, but then also they're getting a certain level of discrimination that I'm not getting. And that's nice. And it was like something that I like always noticed. And then it was like, also, what do I do? I'm very confused. Why are we treating the women differently than the men? What is the difference? Which is funny because there's a book by John Piper, also not affiliated with Bob Jones. Basically, I always like to read the conservative theologians that didn't like Bob Jones, but were also still really conservative. So John Piper wrote a book called What's the Difference? Something like explaining womanhood and manhood in terms of the Bible. Some that's like the term, like the title of it or something like that. And I remember like reading through it and then like my dad, like intercepting the book and be like, you really don't know what the difference is. <laughs> and like they're clearly I don't. But so it's just like gender identity and sexuality and then existing in the way that I was able to exist and the intense masking. I just kind of really leaned into religion as hard as I could because I felt like that was the answer. But then also same time, like, Just like the very nature of my identity, the very nature of me being a trans woman, just like seeing the world and thinking that we have all the answers and just breaking down all those barriers. I still saw all that at Bob Jones. Like I still saw all of the hypocrisy of the rule followers. I saw the hypocrisy of the folks that were always coming down on you with those rules. And I just, I just always had such a difficult time trying to navigate it. But then I was just like, so I wasn't one of the ones trying to enforce those rules. I was actually usually one of the people that was saying like, hey, this is how you get away with A, B, and C. Like I I was like one of the role monitors in chapel. And I'd always just, I would tell like one of my friends if they were my row, be like, by the way, I'll never mark you absent. You can get away with it with me. 
because it was all about like you virtue signaling, like you could be the perfect person as long as you follow the rules. And it was just, that's how you got through Bob Jones. There was nothing Christian about it. Yeah. And it was interesting that you just said that. And it's in your view, what is Christian? And maybe that's a big question. In my view, so Christian, in my view today, is colonization. (laughs) I can tell you from, okay, if we view the idea of Christianity in a moral perspective, I would tell you that a Christian should be somebody who's accepting of other people and somebody who understands that there's nuance and beauty into the world. And if I were a believer, I would say that this is like the way God intended everything, that God wanted everything to be diverse and beautiful and complex and things that have nuance, that gender not being binary is completely segmented in on a spectrum and sometimes off the spectrum. And that's beautiful and amazing and something we should all marvel at because in the way that Bob Jones would try to teach us to be like, hey, this is God's creation. But then that's not what we were served at Bob Jones. We, we were told that things had to be a certain way, that the Bible said that A, B, and C is true. So that means if you don't believe that these three things are exactly the way they are, that means you're influenced by the world. That means you don't love the Lord, something like that. Or like you're probably on your way to eternal damnation. If I were one of the fiery evangelists that I've had to sit through at Bible conference would say. But if I were to look at the concept of Christianity in today's world, let's take places across the ocean that weren't necessarily Christian before Christians got there and see what happens to their culture. For instance, the entirety of the United States of America. (laughs) And you can see this happening today if you go to Hawaii. You can look around and you can see white churches everywhere trying to influence culture, trying to put white Christianity in place right there and just completely whitewash their society. So when I look at Christianity today, that's what I see. I see folks trying to suppress identity. I see folks trying to make folks conform into their way of thinking. I don't see mission work as a noble calling like I used to anymore. I see it as this idea that we're trying to make people assimilate into one way of thinking. And I've sat through so many missionaries try to explain this away. This idea that, no, we're trying to integrate their culture into Christianity, but that Christianity doesn't have room for that. Not even a little bit. You have to believe the way that we say. And that way is going to delete so much of your belief system if you believe any differently. I love the idea of this like moral Christianity, of this like social idea of like communal benefit, of all these wonderful things that we are sold 
but there's just this disgusting, ugly underbelly to the entire thing. And it's one of a culture of suppression. And the more conservative you get in this idea, the worse it becomes. And that's why when you look at Bob Jones's institution, that they have adult students there that they don't even allow off campus, at least when I was there, like you had to be like, in a certain group, or it had to be all same sex, or you had to, you can't be there, you couldn't leave after 1030 or something like that. Or was it 1130? I don't remember. But like, you had to be in the incubator, like you couldn't go and explore the world. And it was the idea that like, they had to take care of the children, but these were adults. It's like when so when I tell folks these stories, like to me, I'm just like, I'm just telling you about my childhood. This is how I grew up. Like, none of this seemed like it was that big of a deal to me. But like, whenever I talk to somebody else, it's always just, you poor thing, are you okay? Like, how could you go to a place that would not let you be a person? And that's exactly what Bob Jones University did. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Thank you for digging into that and explaining that question. And so it is interesting because I've said this in interviews, but yeah, they're giving you an identity and they don't want you to form your own personal identity or form autonomy or really personhood. And a lot of people have been online saying things like, oh, Bob Jones rules have changed. And yes, a lot of them have changed. But there's still such a culture of fear, shame, and control. People can say, oh, women can wear pants now, or oh, you can go off campus without telling anyone during the day. There's still overnight passes. But there's, and I've been followed off campus. I know twice that I know of while I was there from 2018 to 2021. So yeah, they can talk about how they've changed, but there's still so much fear, shame, and control into all of it, no matter. And, oh, yeah, you can wear headphones now walking around. Oh, my gosh. Yes. It's okay. Whatever. <laughs> you can wear headphones. That's crazy. <laughs> yes. I know. That happened while I was there. They were like, you can wear earbuds walking around campus. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Wow. But, yeah, but there's still that there's still that element, I think, of fear, shame, and control and still same theology. And I think as Bob Jones has loosened the rules They've had their own internal culture war of who's the like against the most conservative and who what they see as liberal on their campus. And the whole I'm sure fiasco with Pettit of him supposedly being liberal and the board wanting to get rid of him and blah and all that stuff, which I'll dig into in another episode in this podcast. But that's been fascinating to watch from the outside. <laughs> I believe it. And the last queer survivor that I interview, they have decided to remain anonymous. I want to dig into really how did Bob Jones' teachings affect your view of yourself and your sexuality? Ooh, that's a deep one. For a while, I thought I was unworthy of being loved because this is something I struggled with. Um, because I am tainted, I am stained, I am a horrible person, because I definitely had experiences before I went to Bob Jones where I felt like I was such a sinner because I did things with people 
And I just felt gross and icky. And I felt like I was never going to find someone that was going to love me. I remember feeling gross. And I remember someone comparing homosexuality to pedophilia. And I remember feeling so grossed out by that. And that was something that really traumatized me because I went, I would never touch a child. And then we're seeing come to light that Josh Duggar did the exact same thing, condemned people for being homosexuals and basically putting them in the same category as a pedophile. And here we are. He's in jail for CP. It took a toll on me and it still takes a toll on me now because I want to believe God is a wonderful person. I want to believe God is a good thing to have in my life. But if it's under this guise of hate, I don't want anything to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. Um, And with that being said, it's taken a long time. And I am nearing my 30s now. I don't know if I'll ever be 100% okay from that, but I do know I still feel like I'm unworthy of being loved by someone, even if I do end up with somebody that is the opposite gender or is the perfect relationship in the Bible's eyes, that sort of thing. I personally will probably struggle with that till I'm dead because now I have this ideology in my head that one, I might be unworthy or two, I'm icky and unclean, or three, there's a huge narrative that goes around in fundamentalist circles. I personally don't see myself ever having children. I don't want them. It would probably do a number on my body. It might actually hurt me to have children besides the actual like labor pains and stuff like that. I don't want children on my own. I'm also of the volition that there is many lovable children worth adopting and there's that wonderful narrative of adopted children take on the sins of their parents which is gross it makes the stuff that bob jones teaches makes you feel horrible for some of the things that a you can't control or b it's just not what you want and it's a boundary that you have personally and it's frustrating and it's not right to hold that against somebody you know what i'm saying yeah and I relate so much to all that you're saying, and I'm so sorry you've also been through that. And yeah, these teachings, they are so toxic. They are emotionally, psychologically, spiritually abusive. And what I've realized as I've done research and dug in a little, like I'm in the beginning of my healing journey, but I it was insane to me to learn that these toxic teachings and the way they approach things and fundamentalist Christianity, it mirrors a narcissistic abusive relationship. It's really great in the beginning. They try to cover you with, oh, Jesus loves you. He loves you, blah, blah, blah. And then like they hook you in with the community and doing all these things for you. And then you're broken down. So it goes from the love bombing to making you feel so, so worthless. And the way you get your worth is to become dependent on the answer they give you and their teachings and doing all these religious rituals and all these confessions and all these different things. And and then when you do all these things, it does feel good because really they're giving you the problem and then they're giving you the solution. 
And then, yeah, you do their little formula and it might feel good for a little bit like, oh, look at me. I'm a good person. I'm God loves me. As long as I follow these rules and these teachings, God's happy with me. But then when you fall out of line, you feel shame, you feel worthless, you feel bad. And they always have to make you feel worthless because that's how they control you. And the cycle starts over again. And once I just realized that and learned it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a narcissistic abuse cycle that they get you like emotionally hooked on. And yeah, it's devastating because even though like you might not consciously believe those things anymore, it's so ingrained in your unconscious and in your psyche. And oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's just, it's really, it's awful. It's terrible. It's abusive. And I'm so sorry that, yeah, you've also been through that and experiencing the effects of that. And I think that's like the awful thing I think about Bob Jones is that when you are there, you're being built, like you're being broken down and then built into the specific kind of Christian and person that they want you to be. They're making you into this like soldier or robot or whatever for Christ, basically. What That's what they say. To spread their message and their teachings and they believe like their approach and interpretation of Christianity is the right way and the only way. Thank you for listening to this episode of Surviving Bob Jones University. It would be greatly appreciated if you could give the podcast a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leaving reviews helps listeners just like you find the show.